nice to have Parlay Media out there and the newsletter telling the industry stories. For a time, there wasn't a lot of places out there telling me. So it's great to have them and I would like to share and to, to learn. So I'm grateful for all of the work you guys have done to build an excellent platform. And congratulations to the team at Parlay to create this. I think it's fantastic. Always enjoy being a part of this show and listening and reading every Thursday. You're listening to the Gaming News Canada show with Steve McAllister, recorded live on LinkedIn Audio. Follow Steve on LinkedIn to join the live audience. Welcome back, everybody, to LinkedIn Audio for the Gaming News Canada show. I'm your host, Steve McAllister, the Editor-in-Chief of Gaming News Canada. Great lineup we have today. We have some newcomers in the room here, which is great. Hopefully, you'll uh, you'll enjoy the show as, as, much as, uh, as much as we have putting together. Uh, just quickly to, to introduce our guest today, we will be joined by uh, very shortly by Rebecca Jackson from GBG PLC, uh, who I believe is in Northern England right now. Uh, Paul Burns from the Canadian Gaming Association is going to join us uh, from a bus somewhere between Toronto and, and South Bend, Indiana. Uh, Benji Cherniak from Avenue H Capital is going to be with us uh, for the second half of the sh- program. Uh, we're also uh, looking forward to speaking for a few minutes with uh, Digger Turnbull, a uh, board member of the Fantasy Sports and Gaming Association and, and longtime fantasy sports guy in, in, in Canada and, and beyond. And of course, we're joined by our regular contributors, Amanda Brewer, Will Hill, and Chris Abbott. Uh, before we bring Rebecca on, if you had a chance to read the Tuesday newsletter, uh, Gaming News Canada, we celebrated our two year anniversary uh, last Saturday, February 18th. And, uh, We'll, we'll have a chance to, to talk a little bit more about it throughout the hour, but I do want to uh, just do want to express my appreciation to, to a lot of people. I know, I know we said a lot of thank yous in Tuesday's newsletter, but it was important to do that, and we appreciate the support of everyone for what we've been able to do with not only the newsletter over the two years, but getting together every Thursday afternoon and having those conversations. So uh, thank you. Um, to quote Will Hill, uh, goodness gracious, we have a lot of real estate to cover over the next 57 minutes or so, so let's get right to it. Uh, please welcome the Director of Gaming for GBG, Rebecca Jackson. Um, as we say in journalistic parlance, we had a bit of a scoop, uh, a scoop this morning with the news that GBG will be the first company uh, in Ontario to, uh, to, to give its customers here access to Equifax and, and TransUnion, two of Canada's major credit bureaus. And Rebecca, I'll, I'll get you to start. And thanks so much for joining us. And I know you'll do a much better job uh, than, than I just did of explaining uh, what what this news means to the marketplace in Ontario and, and what GBG is doing to to support uh, support Ontario operators. And I, and I believe GBG represents about 60% of the operators in the market here right now. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thank you, Steve. Thank you for having me on today. I'm excited to be here with everybody and congratulations on, on your two-year anniversary as well. Um, so, so I guess this is exciting news for us, but also uh, we feel for operators and even the, the players, the consumers in, in Ontario. So just for a bit of context, GBG are uh, global leaders for identity and fraud solutions um, quite globally. So we've been established for more than 30 years and delivered different software and solutions to our customers around the world, which enable them to, to grow and protect their business. So I've been with the group for 10 years now, and um, we focus um, 
uh, quite a lot on delivering different solutions or what the market's crying out for into uh, global gaming operators. So um, this is primarily to help them verify players' identities, um, streamline client onboarding, and also deliver that AML compliance that, that we all know so much about. Um, so we do this for operators in, in, in many different jurisdictions, and we've done it for a very long time in uh, regulated markets that, that have been regulated a lot longer than Ontario. So um, we learned about the market before the launch. So um, that gave us, and that was from our clients and our regulatory policy advisors, that gave us a good steer on what was going to be needed. Um, so it's it's really helped us to sort of uh, get a grip with the market and also learn the AGCO and the IGO model because it is different, very different to how we see other regulators across the world. Um, so we were very lucky to launch a solution into um, Canada, Ontario, um, before ahead of the um, licenses going live um, and be there from day one. Um, having said that, though, we have worked with operators who transact in Canada for many years, uh, including uh, Atlantic Lottery. Um, so, so we have had good experience in, in that area. But why our announcement was so important today and why we really wanted to share this news with everybody is because um, typically businesses will, will access that one data source to verify their customer. And um, what that means is if, if you don't have a footprint with one credit bureau and you're using one of them and not the other one, um, it makes it really difficult for a player to come on board with an operator via that seamless FinTrack check. So where they look at the credit file or the dual source process method. Um, so without getting into too many details on that, what, what we've done is we, we've now been able to um, contract directly with both bureaus to give our operators access to the best data in the market. So we are working with um, a lot of operators over there um, in Ontario. Um, so, yeah, it's just over 60% of the brands now that are live, um, which is really exciting and a good, a, a good testament to GBG as well as the work that we've put in to make sure that we were ready. But also now the fact that we are helping uh, operators to maximise their player acquisition rate, increase their match rates and obviously onboard more customers the first time. Uh, just adding to that, though, I think um, one thing that, that we always want to make sure that people are aware of is it's not just that check at the start um, that happens. There is ongoing monitoring of players that happens. There is uh, different uh, fraud solutions out there that we're helping operators in Canada with um, to pick up these bonus abusers um, and really make sure that they're being protected from any any bots or uh, anybody wanting to conduct foul play um, on on these gaming sites. So for us, it's been a bit of breath of fresh air, if if I can say that, to work um, and see some regulation that's quite prescriptive in in the checks that um, that the regulator wants to see because it makes it quite easy. I, I hope for operators to know what's needed for that onboarding. Whereas we don't see that in every market around the world. So it's been really, really exciting and, and uh, nice to um, enter the market and, and, and be part of it. Going back to what you were talking about with regards to the, the regulations, 
uh, and the operation agreements by AGCO and, and IGO. Is there anything else that really makes Ontario stand out from, from other markets that GBG is, is dealing with? So I think it's exactly sort of what I referenced there in the sense of um, it's a new model in the case of having their um, AGCO license and, and the IGO license. Um, and, and they obviously have different um, parameters that, that they both deal with. Um, for, for me, as somebody coming into this that understands global uh, regulation in terms of age verification, identity and anti-money laundering, it was really refreshing to read guidance that, that was quite prescriptive um, and, and it did tell operators what they needed to be doing in the data sets um, because we don't see that in, in most of the markets. It, it can be a lot more vague or down to a risk-based approach. Um, so I really feel as though they've adopted a model that does help from the outset to protect the player. And Rebecca, just, you know, even though that you, now what you're doing is it's you're using technology and, and you have access to these to Equifax and TransUnion. I mean, is this new technology that's been developed that you can now take into other markets, whether it's, you know, your operators in the U.S. or the U.K. or, or across the rest of Europe? Is, is this something that you'll be able to tweak, tweak now for other markets? Yeah, so it's 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 the same technology that um, essentially we've used in in uh, say regulated markets across the US, uh, Australia, um, the UK. Where <laughs> I keep referencing that just because it's my my homeland. Um, but also um, when you look at other jurisdictions such as Isle of Man or Malta or even Curacao, um, the 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 availability of data in some countries isn't as strong as others. So that's where operators find themselves going down this document process. So asking a player to provide a document to them, um, we all know, um, and we can all maybe be, be a sin of this. I know if I get to a website and I have to present an identity document, I understand it because I work in this industry, but equally, it's not viewed as that seamless player onboarding experience or, or customer onboarding experience. So um, the model it can be diff uh, can be the same rather um, across uh, other countries, but I think that what the benefit that what Ontario has is you do have a good data system with FinTrack. Um, obviously, you do have the the people that fall outside of the net slightly that perhaps haven't had a credit footprint for so long. But for me, what what the important factor of, of say GBG's tool is that you can layer in additional data. So, for example, the mobile number somebody's presenting to you, is it a uh, legitimate mobile number? Is it, is it valid? Is it existing? And does it belong to that person? Or recently, has the SIM been swapped out of it? Or is that email address um, belonging? How long has their email address been in existence? So if somebody's just created the email address yesterday and we've never seen that email address before, they all start to, to flag uh, fraud signals. Um, so building up a picture to be able to understand more about the customer coming on board, not just their identity, is where I think you can add real value in, in these sorts of processes and where I think that players in Ontario are benefiting from the protection, but as well the operators are as well. Just a final question for me, Rebecca. And, and again, I mean, as I mentioned at the top, I mean, GBG is a, a, a global company. You're a big player in, in this space. And 
and you talked about being ready to go in Ontario kind of, you know, from day one when the market opened last April. I mean, how how keen is the company on Ontario and where do you, you know, do you, do you see more opportunities around Ontario and the rest of Canada as this, as this industry continues to grow? Absolutely. And I think um, we, we are really clear that Ontario has been a big part of our market strategy um, at GBG. I think what will be interesting to see is obviously we're, well, we're in February, we're approaching the year of the market. Um, what numbers come out of that? And if the other um, areas within Canada decide that, that it is their time to regulate and um, how they want to come online, because we all know that the the Canada, what I call Canada Grey, <laughs> Canada Grey market is still out there. Um, and it'll be interesting to see if, um, if operate, uh, sorry, uh, them, the regulators do come in, regulation does come into play. Um, across different areas. I, I definitely think that that'll be important. But um, absolutely, gaming is is a, is a core focus of ours. And it's something that we're really passionate about helping operators with. Um, so I think anything that we can be doing to make sure we can support operators with protecting players at the front door um, is really important. But yeah, big question there, Steve, from yes. you. Where do I think it's going to go? Because uh, we, we've got an eye on the uh, uh, LATAM as well. Um, obviously, there's lots of questions. What's going to happen in Brazil coming up um, uh, as well? So, yeah, I oh, think so. Right. I think it will happen. I'm not sure how quick, though. Do you have a view how quick? Well, it's something we talk about every week, Rebecca. And maybe <laughs> I'll, I'll just ask uh, Will Hill or Amanda Brewer or Chris Abbott. I don't know if you if you have a comment or you want to weigh in on this or you have a, a question for for Rebecca. But uh, yeah, I think we've talked about in this forum on Thursdays that the you know we do we do look at LATAM. There's a lot of discussion about how the dominoes fall in terms of which Canadian province follows on Ontario next. And I think uh, everything that we've we've heard and, and read is it's kind of a it's a mug game right now on, on which province comes next and and you know when it comes down to it nobody's really sure uh, which province is going to follow Ontario's lead on this. Rebecca Jackson is the director of gaming for GBG PLC. Rebecca, really uh, appreciate your time. Uh, I would suggest if you haven't a chance to read the newsletter, if you want to read a bit more. Uh, today on on the news from the company and also there is there is a link to the uh, to the page on on uh, on this announcement and what GBG offers so uh, really appreciate your time Rebecca I'm really glad we had a chance to to have a chat at, at Ice London and I'm sure we're going to bump into each other at a conference uh, or two between now and, and the end of 2023 so thanks so much again for joining the Gaming News Canada show. Oh thank you for having me I'm uh, looking forward to the rest of the show as well. That's great, Rebecca. Yeah, please, ha please hang around, and uh, if we might, we might get you up to talk before before the hour ends. Uh, let's move over. If we can get uh, we get Paul Burns, I'm, I'm not sure if, if Paul's actually driving the bus or if he's uh, going over game plans at this at this point. And I, I should mention that uh, Paul's wearing a couple of different hats on this Thursday afternoon. Uh, one is the president and CEO of the Canadian Gaming Association. And uh, just as importantly this week, and as the head coach of the Leeside Wildcats U18 Double B team, which is on its way to uh, South Bend, Indiana, and, and Notre Dame University for uh, for a hockey tournament this weekend, which makes me 
uh, jealous as H-E double hockey sticks. So we'll try to get in here. While we're doing that, just reminded that we'll, we will have Benji Cherniak at 2.30. We are going to uh, definitely talk to Will Hill, Amanda Brewer, and, and Chris Abbott. There's a couple of stories that we talk about in the newsletter today that we want them to, to weigh, weigh in on. Um, well, maybe, uh, maybe while we're waiting to get Paul in here, um, I, I just, we'll kind of, uh, we'll do this a few times through the hour, but well, I just want to, you know, on a personal note, re- really thank you, um, for all of your support of, of Gaming News Canada for the, through the first two years. And, um, I believe Mike Day kind of brought you into the, the parlay fold in a, in a, uh, pro bono advisor capacity back in back in uh, either late 2020 or early 2021 and uh, you've been just uh, along with Amanda have just been tremendous resources and in, in teaching me about this industry and, and introducing me to, to people either through emails or or at conferences and uh, uh, you know it's just an opportunity to, to thank you publicly for everything you've done on behalf of uh, the, the parlay slash gaming news Canada Oh, now see if you could see me on this LinkedIn audio, you'd understand that I'm blushing profusely. It's been a pleasure. Uh, I would actually offer to uh, to sing you happy birthday on the occasion of your second birthday. But I think I would actually drive away some of the live viewership today. And I'm having this image of people listening to this as a podcast on a treadmill and falling off the uh, uh, the treadmill when they when they hear my singing voice. So I'll politely refrain. But uh, Congratulations, well, also to, to Rebecca and GBG on their entrance to the marketplace, uh, but to all the good folks at the Parlay Media Group. It's, it's been both a pleasure and a privilege uh, to work with you through not just 24 months of live operations, but as you hinted at, um, I think I've been on this ride for about uh, 27 to 30 months um, talking with you before you even, uh, even went live. So um, uh, while we're celebrating a second birthday, uh, there was a, a period before that where there was considerable planning and, and due diligence. And um, I will say all that planning and due diligence has manifested in an absolutely wonderful product, um, both written uh, through the twice-weekly newsletter um, and uh, on the air through this this podcast. Yeah, thanks. We'll appreciate that. We'll, we'll get Amanda here shortly, but I, I want to get Paul Burns while he's able, able to talk. Uh, first of all, Paul, I'll just echo what I, I just mentioned about Will and and. Again, you were you along with Amanda and Will were pretty much day oneers when we started this newsletter. In back in uh, on February eighteenth, twenty twenty one, and I, I laugh now about uh, you know the first few months of that newsletter while we were following the journey to to Bill C two eighteen getting passed and you know trying to find a way to to write six hundred words every Thursday and you know to the point where I was writing about social social injustice in sports and and. Uh, some weeks, you know, not too much on sports betting and a lot more and everything else going on in the sports business. So, uh, you know, can't say enough how grateful I am for the for the help that you've uh, you've given us with with the newsletter over the, the past two years. And um, I did want to get get you in here while you were on your way to uh, right. South Bend. Thanks, Steve. No, it's congratulations to you guys. I mean, uh, it's the time flies when you're having fun. I guess that's the best way to describe it. It's nice to have uh, parlay media out there and the newsletter um, telling the industry stories. Um, for a time, wasn't there wasn't a lot of places out there telling them, so it's great to have them uh, and outlet to share uh, and to to learn. So I'm grateful for all of the work you guys have done to build. I think that's an, you know an excellent platform and. And so 
congratulations to everybody, uh, and you and the team at Parlay to be able to um, create this. I think it's fantastic. And I always enjoy being a part of this show and listening and reading every Thursday. Hey, Paul, when you when you sit here today, I mean, if, if you had, you know, if we had this conversation back in 2021 and you were kind of forecasting what things would look like today, like how much how much different would it be? Like, would, would, would you have uh, would you have uh, pardoned the pun bet back then that we, we'd have, you know, 42 operators in Ontario today and, and uh, you know, the kind of success that I, I think we, we have seen in the market on so many levels? I don't think I would have said there would have been 40 plus operators in the market. I, I probably would have said it would have been closer to 30, you know, high 20s. Um, but I think it's a testament to uh, the, the regime that's been created. Um, and, you know, I think that we've seen um, the emergence of what the market has been, and what's been sitting in the gray market for a decade uh, is emerging. We're seeing the true reflection of what that is and what it's been, which I think some people have been surprised about. Others just kind of seem to be performing to the expectations that were out there, that what everybody thought, even though there was not a lot of data on the gray market. And you'd have to piece together uh, earnings reports from those that were publicly traded and others to kind of make an assessment. Uh, but I think it's reflecting of what the market is. And uh, I think that's... Um, you know, from what we see as governments create look to create policy around creating, you know, safe regulated gaming for their citizens. This is a you know, they create it's a good model to follow. Um and you know, I think it's a it's a nice moment in time to take a look at that. I think obviously these things are not um static and we have to be careful to make sure that a strong market can be nurtured to continue. Uh, that's my biggest thing. It's a, this is now, but what's it going to look like in two years? That's where success is, in three years, in terms of long-term success. And, and what it is. is there going to be still 40, people, 40 companies in the marketplace? Um, uh, what, is, what is the business going to look like? They, you know, there's a lot of, and I, I read a lot from operators entering the market, what they see is that um, uh, players not sort of, there's still lots of room to educate and develop the players in sports, online gaming, and I think that that's um, that's a challenge that everybody has to be able to grow the market, and ensuring that both the regulatory regime and the business model uh, allow that to happen. And that's what we've got to be diligent about going forward. What what what's at the top of your to do list, Paul, with with the Canadian Gaming Association over the next you know ten months as we move towards. You know, 2023, the end of it, and then moving into 2024. Like, what what would be number one in your bucket list right now for the association? Well, we're um, we got we got a lot of things on our list. <laughs> the um, you know, as as we work to advance the evolution kind of the gaming industry, as you know, our 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 mantra, we have uh, to keep an eye on. Obviously, a number of things. One, we want to we'll be working uh, and talking more about uh, an industry CGA-led RG player protection initiative this year. Um, we'll be uh, Canada's federal government will be opening Canada's AML laws probably in the latter half of 23. Uh, there's a lot of 
uh, updating that needs to happen in that legislation to better reflect uh, today's economy, the technology that's available uh, for operators to use in the, in, in the AML space um, that, is, that, that gets reflected into uh, legislation because that's, that's huge for because it, it touches every operator and we need to make sure that that, that legislation gets better reflect today's gaming industry. So those are uh, just a few off the top uh, as long as we try and you know, is bring our members together to create networking opportunities and, and better tell the stories of the gaming industry. You know, we've, uh, there's always um, being able to, um, are promoting and, and encouraging regulated gaming markets, fully regulated gaming markets in all jurisdictions. It's obviously something we've talked about and continued. And we'll be there to work with governments as they want to encourage them to dialogue with industry so they can learn and create the best uh, regulated models for uh, online gaming for full participation um, for the uh, customers that are out there in the gray and, and understanding that there's regulated markets have a lot of positives and benefits in consumer protection that also happen to be things like government revenue which um, I think becomes a, a great benefit uh, for those jurisdictions that are going to take a hard look at uh, tackling the gray market in their jurisdiction. Uh, Paul Burns, the president and CEO of the Canadian Gaming Association. Paul, we're going to let you get back to your to your whiteboard. Hopefully, uh, hopefully your girls watched Canada's five nothing win over the U.S. last night in Game Seven of the rivalry series, and the Leeds High Wildcats are ready to to bring home some hardware from Notre Dame this weekend. We're uh, we're looking forward to it. Paul, have a have a great weekend, and again, thanks for all of your assistance and support over the last two years, and uh, look forward to chatting again soon. Thanks again, Steve. Well, I want to get Amanda Brewer in here before we uh, before we get uh, Digger Turnbull up, and and uh, as I mentioned, Benji, Benji Cherniak from Avenue H Capital is going to join us uh, after two thirty. And Amanda, just as I mentioned uh, to Paul and Will, I you know, and I, I did mention in, in Tuesday's newsletter as well. Just uh, eternally grateful for uh, for all of your help along the way. That the many the, the emails, the texts, uh, you know, dragging you to a couple of conferences, including one one on a Saturday afternoon when I'm sure you had better things to do with your with your time but um, you know you, you've been such a great resource to uh, to, the, to the newsletter and, and to this Thursday afternoon forum over the over the last two years so I, I, I just uh, I did want to have the chance to say thanks here on LinkedIn audio oh gee thanks Steve and I think just looking at your trajectory and how you've come into this I think what a natural evolution of your own career your interests you know, the, all the all the work you've accomplished to date. So it's been such a pleasure working alongside you and Mike and Gavin and Mark and just, yeah, hope that we can keep this going for many, many more years together. Yeah, and I think the, a big reason why we've been able to, you know, take this Thursday format, Amanda, and, and you know, from Clubhouse originally to Twitter Spaces and now LinkedIn Audio is because of the willingness to people like, you and, and Will and, and Chris Abbott who's with us today and Nick Salski and of course Gavin and, and Mark and Mike and we're going to give Mark the last word at the at, before we end today um, you know just these conversations every Thursday I think I think we always learn something and it's not a not a coincidence that a lot of the really outstanding journalists who cover this industry in Canada 
um, usually join us here on Thursday afternoons because they do uh, they do learn something when they uh, when they uh, listen in. So uh, again, I want to thank you, and we're certainly going to get you up here uh, later on in the show. I, I do want to get Digger Turnbull from the Fantasy Sports and Gaming Association here before before we're joined by Benji Cherniak and. Uh, Digger, big big week for the FSGA last week with your annual winter conference. And um, I mentioned to you on the phone this morning that uh, Martha Otten, the executive director of iGaming Ontario, there was a question asked at one of her panels at Ice London a couple of weeks ago about where uh, fantasy sports, legal fantasy sports in Ontario stood right now. And, and I think Martha essentially said it's status quo, but um, I know that there were some conversations last week, and I was hoping you could just share with the audience what you, know, what, what, what you can tell us what came out of those conversations and, and where things stand right now with trying to move uh, fantasy sports forward in Ontario again. I've known you guys for a long time, you, Mike, uh, Mark, and, and Scratch, first and foremost, on two years. For anybody who is listening, who does not subscribe to your newsletter, it is amazing the information that you have. and. And, uh, it, you know, you've mentioned, obviously, Amanda and Will here, but your support team has been wonderful. And listening to Amanda on weeks and to uh, Will as happened here and Paul, uh, it's been great. But the information that you find in your newsletter, it's great. It gives you the information. Uh, it's concise. And the nice thing from your background is I know I can trust that information as well. And you're not just pulling it for the Canadian market and the Ontario market, but it also taps into around the world. So thank you for that. It's great work. Keep it up because I love receiving it and it's easy to digest. So good work on that. Uh, also, just quickly to, to mention also congrats to uh, and welcome to Rebecca, as others have mentioned here. It's great to have you guys in North America and in Ontario and Canada. So welcome and hope it's a success. Anyway, we can help you out. Happy to. Uh, people on this call have been willing to help everybody out. Uh, rising tide raises all ships, so good luck to, and absolutely tap into it. Uh, as far as the conference last week, it was wonderful. It was well attended, really upbeat, really positive. Yes, uh, there were no direct meetings per se with regard to Ontario and Canada, but Ontario specifically. But there are, as you say, lots of discussions around that. Uh, the FSGA, which is the Fantasy Sports and Gaming Association, so we cover both. Uh, we cover obviously the very uh, the different verticals within it, and it, uh, we have hired lobbyists that are working to educate and engage the key stakeholders in Ontario to help with those discussions, to help provide, you know, viable and feasible solutions for the paid fantasy season long, uh, mm -hmm. as well as the DFS operators, and more importantly what we found out is the players, the players coming to us that want to be able to play that are not necessarily, you know, working that way. They do want to get back in to be able to play that. So those discussions are happening and, you know, want to make sure that that goes forward. But as you say, at the moment it's status quo and it does seem like that for them that foreseeable future as well. But lots more came out of the meetings as well too. Hey Digger, is there any concern that with what's going on in Ontario that, that, you know, you you will lose fantasy sports players who who will move to sports betting and potentially online casino instead. Or, or is that is that a pretty loyal community you you have and and uh, you don't you don't see that kind of a shift happening? We're in the FSGA hat. I mean, it's very easy to see because our background came from the fantasy sports side. We were the FSTA, but there is no doubt about it. Our biggest members still are now the sports betting side. So FanDuel and DraftKings are right. the two biggest sports 
in North America. So people tend to think, oh, they hear fantasy sports first. But we actually cover all these different people. And, we, you know, what people don't realize on the FSGA side of things is that there's all the different tentacles from content, data, all these different things that help make up the FSGA. And the one thing that we cater to is we cater to the entrepreneurial and innovation side. So if at every conference we have, we have elevator pitches, which in most cases are young, innovative companies or mom and pops. But the reality of it is, is we do have companies that are, you know, have been around for quite a few years that also pitch new ideas at that, at those conferences as well. And, you know, we feed into the bigger companies that obviously tap into these databases or tap into this content or tap into the, all the other parts of the industry. And as I say, FanDuel, DraftKings, uh, NHL, and NFL, they're all member companies. Yes, ESPN are all member companies of the FSGA. So to your point there, which was the question was, are we worried about uh, the, the player, whether they now will become just betters? And really, that's the reality of what you're asking. We're not worried whether they play in any part of the pool that is out there. We actually encourage them to play to either bet if they want to be a sports better, if they want to play DFS to play to be DFS, if they want to play fantasy to do that. And in a lot of cases, there was so much overlap between the three. What we're learning, because what we do is a lot of the grassroots research as well, is that the people that are still out there, there's a tons of people that are still out there that have neither not played either placed a bet or played fantasy. And as it continues to grow, their barrier to entry becomes what is their barrier to entry? And for those people, we're asking the questions. Some it's stress. Some it is, are they really going to have fun or is it too anxious for them to put money on the line or whatever else? Or to even enter at the most trivial level, which is fantasy sports, is still their lack of knowledge. So in all three areas here, which you know we've gone over and listened to Amanda, listened to yourselves over the years, is still education. It's making sure the barriers to entry are simple, that are encouraging people to play, the limits to whatever they want to bet or to, to participate are easy for them to do and to easy for them to manage. And ultimately, no matter what they do, it's using their disposable income to have fun and engage that way. And so those are the things. And, and even at our conference, we had uh, a bet on women panel. It's understanding how much advertising is not, you know, promoted to them. And it's under, uh, you know, the, the cost of acquisition that we've talked about over years, how valuable it is to realize that there are areas of the marketplace that are still underserved and underutilized for the cost of acquisition instead of just going after those people. Hey, they're already in there and we want to get them on our side. So there's lots of stuff that we're learning as everybody else is as we go along. Yeah, that's a great, great stuff. That's uh, Digger Turnbull, uh, board member with the Fantasy Sports and Gaming Association. Uh, there is a link in the newsletter. The FSGA had their uh, annual awards show uh, during their winter conference last week. So there's a list of the award winners, and you'll see some familiar names there. And, and Digger, I'm sure we'll, uh, we'll probably get you back up here before the show is over. But th thanks very much for your insight and, and for clarifying a few things for us uh, here, here on LinkedIn Audio. I want to move over to, to Benji Cherniak now from Avenue H Capital. And, and Benji, th thanks for uh, making a few changes to your schedule to, to be with us on the second half of the program. And uh, Benji, like, like Will and, and Amanda and, and Paul Burns, is someone who's been kind of around the Parlay Media Group since, uh, since our early days. And 
uh, kind of since then has become uh, not not just uh, I, I guess uh, you know part consultant, part investor, part advisor. Uh, I think most importantly, just a, a good friend and, a, and an advocate for what we've we've tried to do on on all sex segments of the Parlay Media Group business. So so Benji, I just want to start by uh, again passing along my my gratitude uh, to everything that you've done on behalf of the of, of the company and, and on behalf of uh, Gaming News Canada over the past two years. Yeah, and thank you as well, Steve, and uh, part investor, part uh, consultant. I'm still trying to figure out exactly what it is I do, to be perfectly honest. But uh, <laughs> uh, And by the way, just listening to Digger speaking about the FSGA, I must admit that I didn't attend last week. Uh, I have attended a number of the fantasy conferences in the past and have some involvement in the fantasy space, but a fair bit of fun. FOMO on my end as it pertains to missing that event. And uh, uh, from what I hear, it was fantastic. And uh, you guys, uh, Digger, you and your team continue to do a fantastic job there. And would love to get more involved on my end and some of these things moving forward. But uh, agree with everything that you just said as it pertains to, to fantasy. I don't think it's about sports betting replacing fantasy now that we have sports betting legislation. It's about real money gaming, be it in whatever format it is uh, fantasy, sports betting, exchange wagering, etc all working collectively uh, long-term as it pertains to the real money gaming user engagement experience moving forward in the legislated states, uh, be it in the U.S., Canada, or elsewhere. Hey, Benji, I'm going to ask you the same question I posed to Paul Burns about, you know, if you look back at when you and I first spoke to each other early in 2021, and you look at where things sit in the industry today, especially in Ontario, you know, 40 operators pushing 80, 80 gaming websites. Now, like, did you did you see this coming, or is there anything in particular that has, that has struck you about what's happened over those two years since we, we started this newsletter, and, and you know, the, the, the journey to Bill C218 getting passed? Steve, I hadn't even made that correlation. I now realize that it was the launch of Parlay Media that must have coincided with all the movement to Bill 218, so I guess we have you guys to thank that we now have a legislative <laughs> product in Ontario. I didn't put two and two together there, but thank you for that. Um, no, all jokes aside, obviously, and you alluded to this earlier, that it's your two-year anniversary. You know, a happy anniversary to you and to Mark and to, to Mike and to Gavin and the rest of the team and to Kevin and everyone who's doing such a fantastic job with Parlay Media. And look, I'm biased. I'm, I'm an investor in you guys. I'm an advisor to you guys. I think you guys have... A, a fantastic product and, and do a great job and will continue to emerge. We, we all know that the movement to legislation in Ontario uh, is purely coincidental. But, you know, look, I think that Paul Burns has done one heck of a job supported by his crew and all of the other ambassadors uh, in Canada, many who are on this call who have been in the Canadian landscape for a while, people like who have such respect for people like Will Hill and Amanda and, and, and a whole bunch of others who've just done a fantastic job as ambassadors for, 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 for real money gaming in Ontario and the legislation of the such. And I'm not surprised by, by some of these recent reports as it pertains to revenue. I'm not surprised that Ontario is emerging as one of the best markets in North America. Uh, I was a little bit surprised, and I wasn't surprised when the results at first were a little bit less, were a little bit underwhelming because we hadn't really flipped the switch from, from gray market operators who were becoming and migrating to, to, to the legislated side. But once we flipped that switch and once we got some of these other companies going like the score and once we had a chance to get our feet and bearings under us in Ontario, I'm not surprised at all by by the momentum, by the number of operators that want to come into the space and uh, be it from the US or from Europe, that view Ontario as an attractive opportunity. Uh, you know, uh, 
it's, first of all, in terms of the size and population, it's a huge market. It represents, I think, 40% or so of all of Canada. Uh, the professional and amateur sports are, are vibrant within Ontario. And I think it's, it, it acts as an incredible catalyst for what hopefully will eventually be a number of other states in Canada coming on board. But I'm not surprised at all by the success. And I've said all along that in terms of all the North American markets that are live today, I think Ontario potentially has the most upside uh, of, of any market with the exception of maybe New York. Thanks, Benji. Um, great stuff. And I'm, I'm hoping you're going to hang around because I'm going to switch gears a bit. But there's a Montreal connection to the next story. And I'm, I'm sure you may have some thoughts thoughts on it. But So we'll get you back in here in a second. But uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with Chris Abbott because we haven't had Chris in yet. But uh, one of the stories in the on the home front section that... that uh, came on our radar courtesy of CDC Gaming Reports this morning, and, and their uh, their flash newsletter that they put out uh, was a CTV News Montreal story that uh, Lotto Quebec CEO Jean-Francois Bergeron appeared on uh, on a radio show in Montreal yesterday morning and, and let it be known that uh, the Lottery Corporation in the province and the, the Montreal Canadiens are in talks to to install hundreds of video ga- gaming machines at the Bell Centre and... and uh, uh, had a bit of an email thread this morning with with Will and Amanda and, and Chris about this. And uh, Chris, I'll maybe I'll start with you, and maybe you can explain a little bit what that what that would look like. And and you uh, you had some pretty uh, you had some pretty firm thoughts in in, a, in the email discussion we had. Well, thanks, Steve. I mean, I don't know the, how firm they were. You know, setting me up to like drop a bomb here. Um, and yeah, again, congratulations on the on the anniversary. I think it was just a couple of months into your uh, reign here. I know our first conversation. I believe I was at the Red Rock Casino in Summerlin, and uh, we were chatting. I was on the game floor. I was there uh, in my, in my last job doing some work. So. Uh, that seems like yesterday, so it's crazy that it's been uh, two years. But uh, so, congratulations on that. Yeah. So the the, the article basically was talking about the um, the government operator in in Quebec putting um, uh, lottery terminals, sports betting terminals uh, adjacent to the Bell Center. And I mean, uh, lots of places there's casino is attached to uh, entertainment venues in our country, right? Um, in Charlottetown, it's actually in the same physical building. Uh, in Sydney, Cape Breton, it's in the same physical building. In Halifax, it's right across the street. Um, in Winnipeg, there's one attached, uh, pretty much. So it's uh, you know it, it's normal. So I think you know if they're the the operator, then then there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, it's a it's a chance for them to get closer to the to the people. Some of the reasoning I thought was a little bit funny, talking about you know we want to bring lottery terminals to the downtown and. I've stayed in a number of downtown Montreal hotels and a number of them had VLT machines. I lost money in them. So they're already there. Um, it is annoying to get to the casino when you're staying downtown in Montreal, but so be it. Um, there was another line in there that, that stood out to me that I thought was, was interesting. And it talked about, um, well, if we're putting them there, we want to you know, have a small number or, or some of the opponents want to have a smaller number rather than having, you know, kind of a sprawling, uh, you know, mini casino as it were. And, you know, I grew up uh, on the East Coast, and in Newfoundland, uh, gambling is quite popular. There's not a lot of entertainment options out there, and the ALC is um, making a lot of money in Newfoundland if you read the reports. But what they did there was they 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 farmed out the VLTs to the bars and restaurants and hotels, and you could have five per venue. And I think you know when it talks about um, problem gambling, 
in my mind, it's created a bigger problem of problem gambling there. Because when you limit the amount of access like that, um, you have people kind of hanging around, waiting for one to come free. It kind of drives that addictive type behavior. You have people who stay on the machine longer because if they know if they get up, then they might not have a chance to play it again. Um, you know, if they get up, someone might sit down and take their winnings. Um, people, you know, poke their head into one bar and see that there's nowhere to play. So then they got to drive around to to find another one. So in my opinion, in my experience, limiting the access like that actually um, creates problem gambling behaviors but those are just a couple of the thoughts that i had but i mean hey if they if they have a monopoly there um i would suggest yes absolutely put it next to your big entertainment facility why not sure uh, amanda oh sure go to me next um well listen <laughs> i say this as someone who was born in montreal and have a great love for my home province but they've as i said in our email exchange they've pretty much just stuck their heads in the sand when it comes to regulating the um, mostly offshore online operators as Ontario did. And to me, this is just them trying to corner more of the market and try to capture some of the, some more of the sports betting dollars for people who are downtown. And listen, I'm a big fan of small downtown casinos. Um, myself, Troy Ross, Paul Burns, and a few others, as I'm fond of saying, still have the scars from trying to do that in Toronto about 10 years ago. Um, but I think this is just a lot of, you know, them beating their chests and saying, you know, like, we're going to just ring fence this market and we're going to try and convince all the people who are playing with offshore accounts that they should only be playing with a lot of Quebec accounts. So I think, you know, this is just like I said, I think this is just them still ignoring the elephant in the room and trying to spin this. So it seems like they're 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 doing something to protect their citizens and capture more market share. Will Hill, did you want to get in on this one? Yeah. So the reality is that in the province of Quebec, which is a province of more than 8 million people, there are only six casinos. So compare that with uh, Ontario and British Columbia, which both have more than 30, and Alberta, which has 28. So, so you know, a, a large population base, um, and yet relatively a small number, a few number of casinos. Now, as, as Chris has hinted, um, the, the issue there is that the market is already potentially saturated with VLTs, video lottery terminals. Um, and I know that one of the priorities for Lotto Quebec over the last half decade has been to pull back uh, on those VLTs, uh, getting to some of the problems that actually Chris referenced. Um, so, you know, it, it's, it's not surprising to me that they would actually seek out a new gaming destination for their customers. Um, what is surprising on two fronts is one, the location, Sacre Bleu, right by uh, the uh, the home ice of the famed Canadians. Um, and two, the way this news came out, which is really quite, quite bizarre for, you know, a neat and tidy and well-run government agency like Lotto Quebec to spill beans like this in, in a radio interview and not expect for it to make huge waves when there has been, you know, no formal announcement or no public consultation on the matter. That, that was somewhat surprising to me. I, that, that's the part that actually sort of leapt off the page at me, that um, unless I've missed um, a whole series of stories that have preceded this, and I don't think that I have, because I, I'm pretty diligent over, you know, sort of scanning uh, uh, news uh, across the country, um, this was sort of the first mention of this, uh, of, of discussions that have been going on for several months between a, a crown agency and a major professional sports team. So the fact that, it, that it's leaked out like this, that, that to me is perhaps the most surprising element of all. 
yeah, not to mention a leak by by the CEO of the corporation. Well, yeah, that was that was my reaction as well. Benji, I I, I believe you're a native Montrealer. I'm sure you've got some opinions on this as well. You would think, as a native Montrealer, I do, but I don't have all that much to add. Uh, I think Chris, Will, and Amanda have, have summed it up quite succinctly. You know, I, I'm with Will though. Like to announce it in the way they have, it's, it's shocking to me, and it speaks. Uh, you know, look, I have a lot of friends that. A number of friends, anyhow, a lot of Quebec, and they do a lot of things really well. But you know, for that news to come out uh, in an interview, as opposed to in a well thought out manner, to me is somewhat mind boggling, and, and, and speaks to the you know probably the need to have some sort of managerial oversight and thought process as to how they make their their decisions and their PR and, and, and on all of those things. So it really is shocking. And look to Amanda's point earlier, any province right now that isn't kind of proactively looking at how are we going to, you know, roll out, you know, uh, a legislative path that's more inclusive and that will allow us to kind of combat the gray markets by, by bringing people into the limelight and into the, 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 the legislated space is, is, is long-term deluding themselves. So, you know, I, I kind of agree with a lot of the sentiments that were alluded to earlier. Yeah. Hey, Benji, I'm going to stick with you and I, I'll go around the horn quickly on this, but we talked about this a little bit on uh, in this forum, and uh, it just it just seems to me that Quebec would be such a great market for regulated sports betting because it, it is the, the province has such a unique sports sports market. I, I think it's different than any other province across across the country. Um, just, just just your thoughts. Does it like how much sense does it make for Quebec to have a regulated market? Take 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 away the. Uh, as Amanda was quick to mention, take away the fact that that Lotto Quebec enjoys the fact that it's a monopoly and it d- doesn't seem to have any, you know, any uh, doesn't want to change at all. Look, I, I I don't think it's a Quebec specific discussion. I think any province or state uh, that, that's living in the real world right now should move towards some form of practical legislation. And and there's not that much work to do here, you know, with with the, the work that Paul and, and the team have done in Ontario. There's a model here that you can see is going to work really, really well. It's uh, all signs are, are, are positive, and there's a, there's a framework for, for for legislation that just needs to be cut and pasted to a certain extent. So it makes all the sense in the world. But look, uh, having grown up in in Quebec, uh, not everything politically always made sense over there, and you know it's just it's a it's a unique place to, to live, and it's a unique place as it pertains to to government and politics and, and, and regulation and legislation and you know, I think that those are some of the forces that might be at play here as well. Right. Amanda? Yeah, I agreed with Benji. I mean, Quebec has always been different, and I think they pride themselves on sometimes having a contrarian opinion to the rest of Canada. But, you know, we've talked before that from a population size, Quebec, British Columbia, and Alberta would be the provinces that would have the most interest from the operators. Um, and no operator would ever be scared off by coming in to a regulated market because that is not just a cost of doing business. That's the right, that's the right way to operate and the only way to operate. So if any of these, you know, any of these provinces ever wanted, I mean, Ontario has a blueprint that they can cut and paste from, or they can tweak and adjust. It'd be a really quick way for them to stand up a model in their own provinces. Um, And I know that you know, the AGCO and I go have had multiple conversations with other jurisdictions. It's just, you know, again, I'm a broken record. There has to be the political desire for this to be uh, 
you know, an objective. It will never be a priority. No government's ever going to make gaming a priority, but it would have to kind of come into a budget, be a line item, um, and have a, a government decide to move this forward. So until we see that start to happen, then we're going to kind of be in this quasi monopoly slash, you know, unregulated gray market, um, you know, status that we are we're in in every other province but Ontario right now. Well, well, the one thing I would absolutely most assuredly say and echo Benji's sentiments um, is that uh, previously, uh, you know, under the care of, of the great Lynn Reuter, and now uh, under the diligence of Mr. Bergeron, Lotto Quebec is an extremely well-run outfit um, and derives a significant amount of revenue uh, from activities that span casino, lottery, online gaming, retail and digital sports betting. Uh, they run a very good ship. Um, that being said, um, we have seen elsewhere here in Ontario um, and in U.S. jurisdictions that the ability to repatriate revenue that had previously been flowing to offshore destinations um, is uh, of great value. And particularly in a post-COVID world where governments at all levels are hungry for revenue, um, the idea of seeing funds that had previously be siphoned away applied to government priorities, well, I mean, to me, it, it almost becomes uh, a no-brainer. But uh, as Amanda mentions quite adroitly and, and, and quite rightly, um, this has to come with in, in line with prevailing political mores and social mores um, as opposed to flowing against them. Yeah, and Chris? It's just a unique culture and things are very, very different there. Um, and, the, the you know, I just even think the government kind of back and forth is... Um, it's like this for people who don't live there. It's, it's a bit of an unknown place. So I, um, yeah, I mean, uh, the sporting culture is massive there. In fact, I would go on a limb to say they're the most passionate sports fans we have in the entire country. So it makes sense. But at the same time, there's a lot of those passionate sports fans who have for years and years and years and years been betting into an unregulated market. And uh, unless they're forced to change that, I don't see it something that they want to do in a hurry. Great. Thank, thanks for all, all that insight, all, all of you. Uh, we're going to leave the last word this week to, to Mark Silver, uh, the, the founder and CEO of Parlay Media Group. And Mark's uh, the person who had the foresight uh, about 20, probably Mark, 26 months ago uh, that something was afoot with, uh, with sports betting in this country and, and regulated uh, sports betting and gaming and uh, re really came up with the idea of uh, starting this, this newsletter and, and this forum. And, and Mark's the guy who's continued to kind of push the envelope and, and evolve this, uh, this part of Parlay Media's group business, uh, you know, moving to different, different uh, forums for these Thursday afternoon chats and tweaking the newsletters and adding a Tuesday newsletter. So, Mark, uh, th thank you. And, and I think, uh, as Amanda mentioned uh, uh, a half hour or so ago, it, it uh, this has been a, a labor of love for me and uh, a chance to really get back uh, to, to writing and reporting again, which is kind of my first love and the reason I got into journalism more than 40 years ago. So uh, you deserve a ton of credit for that. And uh, like I said, I'll leave the last word to you this week. Thanks, Steve. It's really kind of you to say all those things. I think for those people who know me on this forum here, I'm really a servant leader. And without Steve and everything that he's done to share his, you know, 40 plus years of journalism experience, to be our voice, to bring everyone together, none of this would happen without Steve. And equally, you know, Kevin on the other side of the business and the consumer facing brands, you know, without the two of them, 
combining forces much of the time. You know, none of this is possible. So I appreciate the thank yous. I, I hope in a year's time, you're still thanking me, Steve. That That, that is my wish. Thanks, Mark. Really, really kind of you to say that. And uh, as I always say, it's a it's a it's a group effort. So uh, it's 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 been an enjoyable uh, adventure for me. And, and thanks uh, to people like yourself and Mike Day, Jonah Morris, Kevin Kennedy, Gavin Roth. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, people like Will and Amanda, Benji and Chris. So let's uh, let's leave it there. Um, thanks so much again to um, uh, Rebecca Jackson, Amanda Brewer, Will Hill, Chris Abbott, Digger Turnbull, Paul Burns. Uh, Benji Cherniak um, covered a lot of ground over the past uh, hour hour plus, but a great conversation as always. Um, as uh, Digger mentioned, if you if you get a chance, please subscribe to the newsletter. Um, a lot of good news this week, and also seeing a lot of people moving around the industry right now. So there's there's a lot happening in the people on the move section this week. Also, some pretty interesting job listings in the classified jobs information section. So we we'll steer you towards that as well. Uh, we are on LinkedIn, LinkedIn Audio every Thursday afternoon between 2 and 3 Eastern Time. Thanks again to all our, all our guests. Thanks to our listeners. And we'll look forward to seeing and hearing everybody next week back, back here on LinkedIn Audio. Enjoy the rest of your week and your weekend. Thank you for listening to the Gaming News Canada show. Sign up for our newsletter at gamingnewscanada.ca. Follow Steve McAllister on LinkedIn to join the live audience. Message Steve if you're interested in being a sponsor or featured guest.